Hi guys, welcome to season two, episode two of Coffee, Cake, and Geekles. So I decided that I was going to do an episode strictly on addiction. For those of you who are new listeners or maybe haven't listened to some of the earlier episodes, um, I was a substance abuse counselor um, in New York before moving to New Jersey. So um, the thing about addiction is it's really, it's near and dear to my heart. Um, I've had multiple family members struggle with the disease of addiction um, in a number of capacities, whether it be alcohol, um, drugs, gambling, you know, you name it, um, it's been in my family lineage. And people I love and care about have been battling this disease for many, many years. So it's always intrigued me and it's always been something I really, I wanted to work with that community um, in that, you know, in that capacity. I worked in an inpatient facility and I've been in the field, I was in the field for three years before coming to, um, coming to New Jersey where there's no reciprocity for my license. Yay. Um, of course being sarcastic, but with COVID and, you know, this whole pandemic, it has not been easy for people who are suffering from the disease of addiction, um, or mental illness, right? As we know, I've spoken about this before, um, it's really not hard. And according to the National Center for Drug Abuse Statistics, 700,000 people have overdosed in the U.S. since 2000. So, you know, that's really, what is that, 20 years? And that's a lot of lives lost to addiction. Um, just to put it into a little bit of perspective for you, 67,000 of those deaths were just in 2019. Um, and 70% of those 67,000 were simply opioids. So if you're unsure of what opioids are, they are um, anything that is a painkiller. So we have um, fentanyl, we have oxycontin, we have oxycodone, um, anything, oh, and heroin, let's not forget, right? So, you know, it's really, it's really scary and it's really sad. And I have friends who are still in the field who tell me stories of how the rehabs are empty, um, because they couldn't be at full capacity. So they could only take, let's say they normally would take 30, they're only taking 15, and it, at one point it was like only like taking seven. And at one, one point, a friend of mine told me they only had four in the particular rehab she works in. So, you know, people are afraid to even get help because they don't want to risk getting COVID. So you could imagine the overdoses and everything that have been taking place as well during this time period. You know, so it's it's a scary thing. You know, it's interesting because when I was in school um, for this, there was always so much debate around whether or not addiction is a disease. 
Um, I remember, uh, for those of you who listen, who are from New York, you know, Staten Island has their own newspaper, as does every borough, but, um, Staten Island, Staten Island Advance, um, skillfully written, uh, and I say that with a ton of sarcasm because you could, you'd be surprised they even, if they spell check, but, um, basically, they had they post articles when people overdose and and things of that nature to really try to raise awareness which is a good thing however we you know they always have their trolls and you know like everything and um you know people would say some really horrible things like this is not a disease cancer is a disease a disease is something you don't choose to have and um I would go back and forth with people, try to give them scientific evidence that proves it's a disease, and of course, they don't want to hear it, you know? And then, of course, you have, and if some friends of mine who are in recovery for many years now, you know, because um, they've experienced this with other people in recovery. Some people in recovery even say it's not a disease. It was a choice I made. And... Um, you know, way back in the day, way back in the day, <clears throat> people did really believe it was a choice. But once science got involved and really was able to study how the brain works, they realized this isn't a choice. The first few times you pick up a drug, it's a choice. Once your body becomes dependent, it's not a choice anymore. It's not. Um, so, you know, people, it's, it's very hard for people who have not, you know, um, who really haven't had the education surrounding this to understand. And I even have noticed it with people who come into rehab, they're trying to, you know, get themselves healthier, get themselves well, and they'll have a family session with a counselor and their family will still say, you know, this was their choice. Their choice was to get high. And um, their families are not getting well because addiction is a family disease. It doesn't just affect the addict, it affects everyone in the family. And on my codependency episode, I talk in depth about a family system of addiction. and I talk about all the roles the family plays, etc., and things of that nature. Um, side note, if you have a loved one who is struggling with the disease of addiction, if you, you know, are dating somebody or, you know, you have a sibling or a friend, do yourself a favor, educate yourself, go to an Al-Anon meeting. Al-Anon is for the loved ones of alcoholics. They have Narnon. They have nons for everything. So you really can Google search. It's at the tip of your fingers, right? I mean, today, day and age, we all have phones. Um, You can find a meeting. You can go and you can learn and become educated um, about this disease. This way, you know how to navigate and make you know, potentially help the person you care about. So, um, so just to, just to explain, you know, let's get the exact definition of addiction, right? So what is addiction exactly? How do you classify something as an addiction? So according to the American Society of Addiction Medicine, addiction is a chronic medical disease 
involving complex interactions among brain circuits, genetics, the environment, and individuals' life experiences. It is a chronic relapsing brain disease. So, what makes it a disease? The fact that it is chronic and relapsing. So, just like a disease such as cancer. Now listen, I'm not minimizing any other disease that other people, you know, unfortunately succumb to or have to fight. I'm not minimizing that. You know, I'm not saying addicts' lives are more worthy than a cancer patient's lives. Everyone's lives are worthy and everyone deserves the chance to be well. Everyone. And you know what? It doesn't always work out that way, right? As we know, life sucks sometimes. Some people get cancer, they fight, they struggle, they think they're getting better and they pass away. The same thing with addiction. They fight, they struggle, they overdose and they don't live to see another day. So, you know, it is a disease and maybe I sound harsh when I say it and I don't don't mean to come off that way. Maybe it's my own being triggered from so many times defending this disease, um, defending my loved ones, you know, um, seeing good hearted people do really shitty things because of their addiction. So, um, you know, like I said, the first few times it is a choice, but you know, why do people, why do people choose to, to start doing drugs? You know, let's, let's think about that. And if you've listened, listened to this podcast, these episodes, there's so many reasons um, from just the topics I've discussed that would drive people to pick up a substance, right? So, you know, kids who are abused, they go to a high school party, they're hanging out with the wrong crowd. It's the only crowd they seem to fit in with. Their friends say, try this, they try it. And for that moment, it takes away the pain that they feel. It takes away the fear that they feel that, you know, the fear that they know they're going to go home to. Um, Or the abuse or whatever is going on. So they like the way it feels. They want it more. And then it becomes obviously a habit. And then from a habit, it becomes your body needs it. And so on. So... You know, that's one way. Another way is, and let's look at this opioid epidemic that we have in this country. Um, So many young people in the late 90s, early 2000s were getting hurt. They were hockey players. They were basketball players. They were football players. They were breaking, you know, breaking limbs and, and, and things of that nature, going to doctors. And the doctors were saying, let me give you OxyContin. Because that's going to make you feel better. And sure enough, it did. It made them feel better. But they didn't stop taking it. Or when they tried to stop taking it, their body began to withdraw. And they felt like they were dying. Um, just another side note. Um, withdrawal from opiates will not kill you. It will not kill you. It will make you feel like you're dying. But you're not. It's flu-like symptoms, um, but every day going on and on for a long time. It takes a while. Um, so in any case, 
<clears throat> I'm going to talk more about that later in depth um, because I'm going to focus on two substances that I really feel are honestly most important right now, um, alcohol and opiates. So, um, but aside from that, you know, so all these, these people will put on these, these opiates to, for pain. And it's in, it's really insane. It's insane to think of putting a 13 year old athlete or 14 year old athlete on a pill that was created for end of life cancer patients. Oxycontin was developed for end of life cancer patients. Wrap your head around that. Right? I mean, that's crazy. Crazy. And doctors knew it was highly addictive. They knew and they still prescribed it because there was so much money to be made in this. It's really sickening when you think about it. So, you know, so there's numerous reasons why people start taking drugs. Even some people who are mentally ill and don't even know it. They don't even know it. They may have ADHD and they were never diagnosed and they hate feeling constantly like they can't sit still and they can't concentrate. So what do they do? They try an opiate and they feel calm and they have no noise in their head. It calms the static, you know? Or um, better yet, actually, people with ADHD take the reverse. They'll take something like, you know, they would do cocaine because it's a stimulant. So people who have stimulation issues, stimulants actually have the reverse effect on them. So somebody with ADHD might say, I really like the way Coke makes me feel I could focus. That's why people that have ADHD are given a stimulant. They're given synthetic basically amphetamine, but it's a synthetic version. Um, and you know, it helps a lot of people. It does. I'm not going to knock medication. Um, I know my son, my son is ADHD as well as dyslexic. And when it came time for medication, we gave, we did give it to him. And just in the one day taking it, he bit his nails to the bone. It made him jittery. It made him even worse. And I just couldn't do that to him. So we took him off the medication. Um, But some people do, you know, phenomenal on it and some don't. So it's whatever, you know, whatever you really need, whatever's in your treatment plan, your health plan, that's what you do. But, you know, people, you know, so there's, like I said, numerous reasons why people start using substances. Um, And... Back to that whole thing being a choice, you know, I could tell you something and I'm sure you could agree, right? Because we all people, you know, everyone who listens, you're adults, uh, I'm assuming, I don't think there are any young children listening to this. I really hope there aren't. Um, but when we are little, what are our goals for ourselves? Think back to when you were a child, right? What did you, what did you envision your life to be? You know, did you did you envision your life with no one in your family wanting you around for a holiday because you're an addict? Did you envision not having friends because they don't want you around either because you're an addict? Did you want your parents to be disappointed in you? Did you want to be degraded and humiliated just to buy drugs? 
Did you want to put yourself in danger to buy drugs? Did you want to be an addict? So if you could answer yes to any of those questions, then I will be in a state of shock. But I'm pretty sure you could answer no to all of those. So when people say to me it's a choice, those are the questions I ask. Those are the questions. Even when I've had clients sit there and and be so humiliated and ashamed of the life choices they made, I asked them those questions. And they said no to each of them. And it really was heartbreaking because I'm like, you did not choose this path. You know, you didn't. And we cannot begrudge kids for trying, like, you know, kids who try drugs and get addicted. You know, I mean, their, their brains are so, so impressionable. They're still forming. They're not fully formed until the age of 25 years old. So just imagine if you start, if you start drinking at 13 and if you could, you know, and like, you have to think of these things. If you start taking a substance other than alcohol at like 12 or 13 years old, what is it going to do to your developing brain? There are going to be side effects, you know, and yeah, you might not be able to make the right decisions because your frontal lobe didn't develop yet. So, you know, these are the things we have to think about when we tell people that it was a choice. In any way, um, so I want to talk a little bit about alcohol because it's, I mean, especially with this COVID stuff too, and the kids going back to school, there's like a meme going around saying how, you know, oh, I'm going to need a, I don't know, a thing of Tito's and lime and whatever, whatever. And, uh, as part of their back to school supplies or something like that for moms. I mean, have you guys noticed there are so many commercials geared towards mothers and alcohol? It's funny because in like the 50s, they had mother, you know, mommy's little helper. Sorry for the siren in the background. But they had mother's little helper, right? So, which was a pill and uh, basically Valium to calm, you know, to calm mom down. Uh, And now they have replaced that with alcohol. And I know a lot of people drink and they like to drink socially and, you know, whatever. And my dad, you know, till this day, he has his two glasses of wine a night, you know, his red wine, whatever, you know, typical Italian. But I, you know, I did an episode on this too, very briefly discussing it. Um, You know, I drank a lot in college and, you know, um growing up, going out with friends and everything, I always felt like I had to drink a lot, you know, whatever. And since, you know, I really, I really don't drink anymore. Maybe once in a while I'll have a glass of something or other, but I really don't. Cause ever since going to school for this and knowing, and knowing that alcohol is legit poison (laughs) to your body, I, I, I feel guilt drinking. It's, it's crazy, but I do almost feel like, oh my God, I'm putting poison in my body. You know, so granted, I'm sure I'm putting poison in my body every time I eat other things, but I don't know necessarily. So I kind of don't feel the guilt, but, um, yeah. So alcohol is the most dangerous drug substance. And I'm going to tell you why it affects the entire body, the heart, the liver, the brain, you know, it's, it's the only reason, so I said to you before, right, you could be withdrawing from opiates and it won't kill you, but withdrawing from alcohol 
can kill you. So there's a difference because it shuts down everything in the body. Um, And that's why when people are, you know, let's say they drink, I don't know, a case of beer a day and they go a day without beer, they're going to shake. They may have, they may go into convulsions, um, lots of different things like that. So really what's best is for them to have alcohol. (laughs) I know it sounds crazy, but you know, or go to detox. But if you can't, if they're not going to go to detox, they're going to get, they're going to seek out alcohol because they know their hands are going to start to shake and they're going to need to get that in their system to start regulating, you know, their body again. So, you know, it is the most dangerous drug. And then of course, if you're mixing things with it, so if you're going to mix Xanax with, which is very popular, alcohol and Xanax, a lot of people mix them together, you are really putting yourself at risk even more so. Um, because benzodiazepines, which are Xanax, Valium, anything that ends in PAM, um, you know, anything of that nature, they cause seizures. So if you're going to use them over long periods of time, you, and you just stop, you will have a seizure, which is interesting because I went to school with, um, one of the people in my class, she she had anxiety and she went to a doctor and the doctor told her, I'm going to prescribe Xanax for you. It'll help, you know, the whole thing. She was on Xanax for like five years and then she started to abuse it because she took more than she needed um, because she liked the way it made her feel. And then one day she just decided to stop. She was like, I'm not going to, you know, I don't, I don't need this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore, whatever. And that's when she had her first seizure and had to be hospitalized um, at the time I was in school and that's going back a couple of years ago, but at that time she still could not drive because she would still have periodic seizures. Granted, she is no longer on Xanax. You know, she's been rehabilitated, you know, rehabilitated the whole thing. It is a constant fear that she could have relapses of seizures. So she can't drive, you know, a lot of, a lot of things, it really plays a huge role in your life. So you know, that's the thing with alcohol and benzos together. But what people don't understand is that when you drink, your body recognizes alcohol as a poison. So it tries to, you know, combat that. And, you know, long-term alcoholics really suffer repercussions mentally because their brains shrink. Um, and actually, which is even scarier, but in recent studies, people who just socially drink, their brains shrink also, not to the extent of somebody who is an alcoholic, but their brains shrink. Of course, their brain can go back to regular size upon seizing drinking. So once they cease drinking, their brains will go back to size. But, um, you know, little, just things like that. Um, it impairs memory. Um, so like people who say, you know, like college kids who are like, oh, let's all drink and meet at my, well, you know, let's meet at my house. Let's bring some alcohol and let's study, let's study for that test. Bad idea. Bad idea. Because when you are drinking, no new memories produce. That's why you wake up the next day sometimes after a night out and you cannot remember anything because you legit can't remember anything because no new memories were made while you were drinking. 
crazy, right? So these are things like, you know, we don't know. (laughs) No one tells us these things. And interesting too, going back to women, you know, I feel like in this day and age, I'm all about mental health. I think you guys know that, right? I mean, I'm all about, like I said, medication for it, doing what you need to do, self-care, all of that, you know, all of that amazing stuff. But, you know, going out with the girls for, for drinking, you know, I don't know. I just feel like there are other ways to cope with life than relying on something of that nature. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, medication, I totally understand. I was on medication. I was on Wellbutrin for many years. What I don't, I don't really like using alcohol as a means to cope with stress. Um, because quite honestly, it heightens stress. The same thing with cigarettes. People always say, I need a cigarette to calm my nerves. It actually is going to make you have more anxiety because of the effects the chemicals put on the body. You know, people don't realize, you know, it's, it's just crazy. The same thing with coffee, you know, people say, oh my God, once I have my coffee, I'm a happier person. I'm guilty of it. Hello. Look at the picture on my, on my podcast. Look at the picture. I drink coffee for your protection, right? No, (laughs) coffee actually heightens anxiety also because of what it does to the body. Am I going to stop drinking it? No, I'm not, but I'm just saying. So for women, if you have three drinks a night, your risk of heart disease, high blood pressure, all of that stuff increase. And of course, it can be reversed if you don't drink three drinks a night, you know, but I know people who fill a solo cup of wine two times, you know, and you don't even realize they're like, oh, please, it's nothing or one solo cup. They're like, oh, I only drink one cup. I only have one glass of wine a night. How big is the glass? Because four ounces of wine is a serving. And that's another thing people don't know. So, you know, if you're drinking uh, two solo cups, right? What are they, 16 ounces? So think about how much wine you're really having a night. You're having way more than a cup, way more than two cups. You're having a lot of wine. So, you know, these are the things like we need to think about, step back and say, listen, you know, I'm not saying give up drinking. If that's your thing, I'm not. But it's good to just take a step back and say, hey, let me, let me, like, let me assess this. Let me process this and let me see, is this doing more harm than good? Um, you know, maybe, maybe I should scale back a little bit. You know, maybe I should have one solo cup instead of two. Or maybe I should measure the wine and I should know that I'm ha- exactly what I'm having. You know what I mean? I don't know. Just little things things for the little, uh, I can't even speak today, but things to think about, right? So, um, yeah, I just don't like the idea that as women, we always have to go to something to cope with life. You know, um, I just, I don't know. It just upsets me a little because I feel like for years and years and years, women have been told when they go to doctors, and things like that, that there it's anxiety and what they're feeling isn't real and things of that nature. And this just prescribes to that, you know, this prescribes to that whole idea that 
you know, women can't function. So here, here you go. Have a drink. Just have a drink. It'll calm you down, you know? So I don't know. The next substance I wanted to talk about were the opiates. So, I mean, I really feel like so many people know about opiates today, but do they really? So like I said earlier, opiates were created for end-of-life cancer patients, specifically and, you know, OxyContin. They've been around for, I mean, oh my God, since 300 BC as opium. So it's, it's been around a long, long time. That's where the word opioid comes from, opium. So it's not like it's a new drug. It's not like it came out of nowhere. It's been here a really, really, really long time. You know, but so doesn't it make you think like, so how could a medication produced by science to alleviate pain kill you? Right? Like, how does that happen? Hmm. So opiates slow your heart rate and they slow your breathing down. Obviously, if you take too much, they slow it down to the point where you die. Um, so that's what's been happening to so many people lately. Uh, so just so you know, OxyContin, the pills in general, Oxys, Roxys, you know, Blues, they have a hundred names. They are synthetic heroin. So like before when I was talking about amphetamines and how amphetamines are synthetically made to help people with ADHD, these are as well synthetic. So they're created by science. That's all that, you know, that's all it means. It's man-made. So of course we have heroin. You know, my aunt was a heroin addict. Um... It destroyed her life and it destroyed relationships with everyone in the family in regards to her addiction and, you know, things of that nature. But it's such a scary, scary addiction because everything completely changes the way you look, your skin, everything. It's like a tremendous transformation. Um, and really sad actually too, because it brings you to such a dark place. I've had clients tell me that heroin was the devil. It was Satan and it took them to the darkest places of their lives, selling their bodies, doing things they never thought they, they would do, you know, um, straight men performing homosexual sex acts, you know what I mean? Anything just to get that feeling that high. And um, it's really, really sad what you would do to feel that, you know, to feel that sense of euphoria. So, so like I said earlier too, withdrawal is not deadly. You will not die from withdrawing from an opiate. Um, But it feels like you will. (laughs) So you get flu-like symptoms. Um, and on top of that, because the opiate releases so much dopamine in the brain, which is your happy chemical, that afterwards there's no dopamine. 
Now, dopamine can always be reproduced. However, in some cases, it doesn't get reproduced. So people live in a state of sadness and depression. But on top of that, you can also get pause, which is post-acute withdrawal syndrome. And that could last up to a year. So imagine having flu-like symptoms that come and go for up to a year on top of feeling depressed. You know, it's really difficult and it's really hard for people. And, you know, that's why people, it's great. The first, you know, they, so they get out of, they go to detox, you know, they're in, they're in the hell of it with coming off the, you know, coming off what they're coming off of. And then they go into rehab and the first week they feel like shit and they're angry and everything else. And then the next two weeks they're like happier. They got, I'm, I'm getting my life back, you know, then the fourth week they're like, oh, I just want to use, you know, it's like a roller coaster. And then once they get over the hump, a lot of times they leave rehab and they go right back to using because you know what? It's scary. It's scary to not feel well on a daily basis. I mean, look at people now just for, just for me having, you know, being sick and I still have symptoms of this freaking virus still have symptoms. I have clumps of hair falling out. You know, some days I, I feel I'm exhausted. My, my joints ache, everything aches. And I'm like, oh my God, I just, you know, like, I just want to feel better. What can I take? What can I take to feel better? You know, and you drive yourself insane, but it's the truth. I mean, you feel like crap. What do you, you know? So, you know, those are the two, those are like the two main drugs that I really want to talk about only because like I said, I feel they're so they're just so prevalent right now. And, you know, listen, of course there's cocaine. Of course there's, um, you know, crystal meth and things like that. You know, if you want to know a little bit about them, you could always trust me, Google them. But what I said, when I mentioned earlier about those, so from 2019, 67,000 deaths, right? Um, 14,000 deaths were for cocaine and over 12,000 deaths were psychostimulants, which is like meth, you know? Um, but all in all, out of the 700,000 deaths, roughly 450,000 were just from opioids or opioid related substances. So that would be obviously anything like you know, heroin, you know, any kind of, it's a synthetic or the real. So it doesn't, you know, either one, but, um, and now, especially with everything going on, it's really important for us to notice, you know, notice the signs, notice if someone in your life is, you know, let's say someone struggled with addiction and they're not doing well, you know, check on them guys, just see how they're doing. You know, I mean, I have a, I have a close friend. She's in recovery for seven years, but you know, she's struggling through this time. She's not, you know, she's not using or anything like that, but she is struggling. So it's good to check on those people because they lost so much of their supports. You know, um, they lost their meetings, you know, they lost their, they go, you know, there's, and there's so many different pathways also to recovery. There's not just one cookie cutter way to get to recovery, to get to wellness, you know, um, just check on your friends and 
know that there are many options out there for people. They have inpatient treatment, outpatient treatment, NA, AA, CA, which is Cocaine's Anonymous. They have smart recovery. They have CBT, DBT, uh, holistic approaches, MAT, which is medically assisted treatment. So you can get Vivitrol, Methadone, Suboxone. They have recovery coaches. There are so many different resources to utilize when you are suffering from the disease of addiction. There are really so many, so many pathways to wellness. Um, For some people, AA and NA just did the trick, but for some people I know, they loved smart recovery, Um, you know, which is more of a scientific basis of addiction, and it kind of goes into, you know, different ways to cope, and uh, there are different things too in New Jersey, we have, um, we have another initials, I can't remember exactly what it was, Uh, it's not coming to my mind right now, but there are, there are different things too. It's through the um, um, Association of Mental Health, New Jersey. Uh, they have a whole program for people who suffer from the disease. Um, there are so many resources too. I mentioned earlier, uh, there's ASAM. Um, there's SAMHSA, which is Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration. They're all at your fingertips. You could Google them. You know, they're, they're all there for you to learn. They have courses you could take to learn about opiates or if you have a loved one who's an alcoholic, to learn about alcohol and what it does to the body and, you know, why they can't just stop. Educate yourselves. This is why we have the internet, you know. It's not just for looking up political memes and things of that nature. There's so much more we can do with the internet. And I say utilize it, especially you know, in this time where we are home and we are able to learn and grow in so many ways. Um, This is one of those things that would be great to brush up on or learn something new about. So if you have a loved one who is suffering, know that I hear you. I, I completely understand. And, you know, try to get them the help if they're willing to have it, if they're willing to hear you and, and, you know, if they're ready for it. So, cause they have to be ready. Um, but once again, thank you for listening and I hope you have a really good weekend.